We will never forget the Easter morning where power cut out and God's people still sang through it. Amen. Um, so thankful to be here this morning, you guys. My name is Ryan Graydon. I'm a member of Stonebridge Church here, and uh, and I'm going to test something here. Um, Stonebridge was planted by Cornerstone from Ames, and, and we started a uh, Easter tradition years ago where I say, He is risen, and your response is? I heard both. Okay, yeah. So the traditional response would be, He is risen indeed, but Cornerstone changed that years ago, and we shouted, Woohoo! So let's try it in true Stonebridge fashion this morning. He is risen. There we go. And we should celebrate that. This morning, I'm glad to be teaching because I believe what we are going to hear today could change your life. And I really mean that. You see, the story and the truth behind it is something that I don't want any of you to miss. It's a message that is probably the most important message you will ever hear in your life. And I pray that God will calm your heart and your mind in preparation for that. So as we enter into this, let's, let's just stop and, and invite the Lord to our time this morning. God, I am thankful for your word and I'm thankful for the resurrection that you are a living God. That death could not keep you down. And because of that, Father, we have a chance for eternity with you. And I pray this morning that your words would just speak through me, that your truth would be heard, and that it be you and not me this morning, and that that we as your people would listen and learn and change, and that you would be praised in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't believe it's a mistake that all of you are here. Even if this is just one of the few days of the year you attend church, I'm thankful that you're here. And I'm thankful that I have your attention. You see, we've been covering a small series these last few weeks called Facing Fear. And it began with with the topic of facing the fear of the unknown. Not knowing what's to come. And then next we talked about the, the fear of betrayal. Especially as it pertains to those who are close to you. And now, today, I know I'm going to hit something sensitive, something that hurts. Because today we are going to talk about the fear of death. Now, with certainty, I'm sure that we can all say we have dealt with death in our lives. And my desire this morning is not to bring up painful memories. That's not what I want to do. But I do want us to look at death for what it is. Death is now a part of life. There's no escaping it. It will come to everybody in this room. And sometimes expected... And sometimes it's completely unexpected. But it must come. And when it does, you guys, it's hard. Our hearts often ache with tangible pain. It hurts. We feel it. We, we don't like it. It doesn't feel good. 
We don't want it. And we most of the times are angry and sad when it makes its appearance. However, somewhere in our minds, in our hearts, and deep down, we know it's inevitable. It shouldn't be a surprise. Almost six years ago, death visited my family. With the passing of my grandfather. I know it's been six years, but grandpa was an incredible man. Somebody I looked up to. Somebody that I desired to be like. He wasn't perfect. But nevertheless, he loved his family and he was dedicated to being the best father, grandfather, great-grandfather, and husband that he could be. He was married to my grandmother for over 60 years. And I'll never forget this memory. I remember just a few years I had been married and we went back for Thanksgiving, which was tradition. And grandma and grandpa would feed the entire family. And then they would go into the kitchen to, to do the dishes. That was what they did. They didn't want any help. And I remember sitting at the table, talking with family, looking into the dish room as my grandmother and grandfather watched dishes. And I remember seeing him reach down and goose my grandmother. <laughs> and she went up on her toes and elbowed him. And they both... Giggled, and I remember saying, that's what I want my marriage to be like. Grandpa loved the outdoors. He was an outdoorsman like generations that he produced. And, and he was present on every hunt that we went on as a family. But the truth was, he wasn't a good hunter. He was horrible. He was noisy. He didn't have a good aim. But he was that guy that as we finished a long walk, he had candy bars in his pocket because he wanted to take care of all the guys. When somebody would make a harvest, he was that one grabbing you and squeezing you and excited just as much as you were that you made the harvest. He was our cheerleader, so to say. And as he got older, he started slowing down. I remember my grandfather saying, Ryan, I will hunt until it's not fun anymore. And on one deer hunt, when I was 17 years old, I had to help him get across a fence. I had to literally lift his legs. And he looked at me as we finished crossing that fence. And he said, it's not fun anymore. And I knew that was it. As he got older, the hobbies and things that he loved to do, he just couldn't physically do anymore. And then dementia sat in and is set in in his mind and, and he would forget things right after you shared them with him. And for all of us in the family, we knew what was coming. I remember being in Nebraska on a turkey hunt with my dad and father-in-law when we got the call from my grandmother. Better come home, she said. We knew she was serious, and so we packed up our hunt and headed back to home, where we as a family met in a hospital room in Des Moines, Iowa. 
By the time I arrived with my family, a small miracle had happened. You see, Grandpa had been sleeping for hours, actually days. And despite the attempts to wake him up, my grandmother and other medical staff made, he wouldn't wake up. My sister showed up before us, about an hour before us. And when she grabbed his hand, she demanded that he wake up. And he did. He looked around. Smiles came to his face. He couldn't speak, but he gave kisses. And we shared about a half hour, 45 minutes with him. And then he went back to sleep. And that was the last time we saw him awake. My grandfather passed the next day peacefully in the presence of his children and my grandmother. And we buried him a few days later. But I'd be lying, you guys, if I didn't say it hurt. Still hurts. I miss him. And I selfishly want him to stay with us. I knew I would never hear him say, I'm proud of you, Ryan. But I also knew that death had to come and there was no escaping it. See, today again, I will tell you with full assurance, death will come to you. And my intention is not to scare you and I don't want to send you into a panic. That's not what I'm trying to accomplish here. Rather, I want you to hope in Jesus and I want you to be prepared for what's inevitable. Easter Sunday, we all expect a story that is shared by many churches and that story will be shared. However, I want to begin with another story. An amazing story that isn't always shared on Easter. A story that will prove to you the power of the person that holds the world in his hands. It's a story that I'm sure all of you have heard. If you've you've grown up the church or not, it's the story of Lazarus. And so if you have your Bibles today, if you turn to the book of John, chapter 11, that's where we'll be. And our main passage is going to be in in verses 17 through 44, but I want to start at verse 1. Because I want us to understand the context of the story. I believe this, this book has amazing stories. And it's so fun to read if you can put yourself in those stories. So this morning, please read with me from verse, starting in verse 1, John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. The village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. You see, Jesus had a bigger picture, a bigger plan. Now Jesus loved Martha 
and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anybody walks in the night, he stumbles because light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, well, Lord, if he has just fallen asleep, he'll recover. He'll wake up. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant that taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us all go that we may die with him. We find out that Jesus was a close friend of Lazarus. Could you imagine that? Being a close companion of Jesus. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha all knew the Savior as a close personal friend. So logically, when Lazarus was sick, his sister sent word to Jesus to come. And we can assume that Lazarus was not old like my grandfather. Death was not something that was expected for him. He was ill and his illness had probably taken a turn for the worst. And it must have been pretty bad to deem the need to get the word to Jesus. You see, Mary and Martha knew that if Jesus didn't come and heal their brother, he would die. And when Jesus heard that his dear friend was sick, he didn't rush to his side. He he knew the illness would lead to death. So he waited. That's hard for us to get. But again, Jesus had a bigger plan. Let's pick it up in verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother, So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will Rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. 
I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the hurt world. Now, in this passage, we heard that by the time Jesus had arrived in Bethany, answering the call of Mary and Martha, Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Four days. You guys, can you imagine what happens in four days to a dead body? It's not good. And I'm sure nobody would desire to open that tomb at that time. But although moved and grieved, Jesus had a plan. When Martha heard that Jesus had come, we see that she left a house full of guests, their condolences to go meet Jesus outside of town. And when she meets him, she has incredible confidence that Jesus will fix the situation. Again, if you look at verse 21, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She had a confidence that not even the disciples had. You see, she knew who Jesus was. She knew the power in her Savior. She knew that whatever he commanded would happen through God the Father. Do we know that? She also understood the nature of death. Jesus told her in the very next sentence, your brother will rise again. And Martha, in the understanding of the promise of the resurrection, knew that, yes, her brother would live in eternity with Jesus. But Jesus was about to show everybody his power over death. Proving to people yet again that he is the son of God. Let's continue to read in verse 28. When she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her. Supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus so the Jews said see how he loved him and some of them said could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying verse 38 then Jesus deeply moved again came to the tomb it was a cave and a stone lay against it and Jesus said Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? 
So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted his eyes up and said, Father, I thank that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. We see in this section of the passage, we, Mar, uh, Mary finally gets the word that Jesus has arrived and she rushes out to meet him with the same thoughts as his sister. And with her come a flood of fellow mourners who are deeply pained with the passing of Lazarus. And seeing all of this, Jesus weeps. That's the shortest verse in the Bible. But we also see how human Jesus was. He loved his friend. He loved the sisters of his friend. He understood how much the death of this man impacted the community. The pain of Lazarus' passing was evident in the faces and the actions of the people present. The feeling within Jesus, the feelings in Jesus were moved to the point of tears and sorrow more than once. He hurt because sin brought death. That's why he cried. And the sin in our world will bring death to us. The sin in your life will bring death to you. It's unescapable for us. Sin will lead to death. If you go back to the very first book in Genesis, it tells us, that the world was perfect and creation was flawless until the great deceiver deceived Eve and tempted her and thus Adam to do what they knew was wrong. Scriptures tell us that the result of that was the entry of sin into the world and the penalty of sin was death. Generations upon generations would suffer from this. The pain of it, the ripple effect of sorrow as a result of this. Death Cast its shadow on the earth and it will forever be something that we have to deal with. But for the Son of God has no power. We see Jesus come to the tomb of Lazarus and call out, Lazarus, come forth. Can you imagine that scene? I've always encouraged my kids and others to put themselves in the scriptures as you read them. So I want you to do that now. Let's imagine that, that we were a member of that crowd grieving and following Mary and Martha around. And you know that Lazarus is dead. He is in a, a cave with a stone in front of it. You know that when people die, they're gone and they're never seen again. But you follow the crowd to the tomb anyway. And you see this teacher, Jesus, this friend of Lazarus, who is obviously grieved at his passing too. 
And Mary and Martha and Jesus walk from outside of the, the city to the tomb where they laid this, this man and they rolled the tomb, the tomb door away. And then Jesus orders the people in the presence to watch. I'm sure everybody was thinking what Mary and Martha warned Jesus of. Maybe they were almost disgusted that somebody would disrespect this body in this way. But nonetheless, the stone was rolled away. And in a loud voice, we see Jesus call toward the entrance of the tomb. Lazarus, come out. And if we were there, you guys, I'm sure our first reaction would be... This is crazy. What would we think? What would we feel as you waited, as you stared at this dark hole in the side of this cave? But you're obviously staring intently because you hope that something happens. And as Jesus gives the order, you see something fate, but your mind is telling you it's not possible. Then you begin to see the form and the outline of a man. And then it becomes clearer and clearer. And then this man wrapped in linen cloth, his body full and healthy, is standing before you. The man that was dead is now alive. And he has just walked out of his tomb. It's unbelievable. My, I get goosebumps, you guys, just talking about that. How would you explain that? How would you tell others what you just saw? How could anybody believe what you just saw? But you'd believe it, wouldn't you? No tricks. No explanation. Nothing you could come up with could explain what you just saw. What you did see is Jesus' power over death. He did what he said he would do. He couldn't be anybody other than who he claimed to be, the Son of God. There's a story very similar to this one. And it happens not too long after this story. And this is probably what we're more familiar with at Easter. If you actually had time and turned to chapter 18, if we had time this morning, we would find the beginning of a story where Jesus has been arrested and accused by his own people. He was betrayed. He had done nothing wrong and yet they hated him. And if you read the story, we see Jesus do nothing to stop this impending death. A death that God the Father deemed necessary because our sins were too great for us to bear or escape. You see, prior to Jesus' death on the cross, God declared that when somebody sinned, something had to be sacrificed to atone for the sin. Blood had to be spilled And he ordered that something innocent and perfect had to be killed to pay the penalty for your wrongdoing. Usually it was a lamb or a dove or something like that. And when somebody had to kill something, 
to pay the penalty for what they did, it made an impression. Something else suffered because of a poor choice you made. Now place yourself in this story. A bystander seeing all this happen. The man you saw raise Lazarus from the dead now accused of something that is not true, yet he will not argue his innocence. Although the Roman leaders actually find no guilt in him, Jewish leaders want him dead. And the command is hesitantly given to crucify him. And so he's beaten and flogged to near death. Wounds so bad and deep that you wonder how anybody could survive such a beating. And then he's forced to carry a rude made wooden cross despite his beatings. And he's taking it to the place where he's going to die on it. And when he reaches that place, he's laid down upon this cross and he's stripped of any decency as soldiers drive large iron nails through his hands and feet. And if that's not painful enough, then they raise him up to hang on those nails until he dies. For hours you see this man suffer pain, anguish, torture, and you wonder why doesn't he just rescue himself? You saw him raise a man from the dead. Why won't he just save himself? The answer is because he loved you. Sacrifice had to be made for what you and I have done. Ryan, that happened 2,000 years ago. He doesn't know me. Yeah, he does. Scriptures tell us so. Psalms 139, 14 through 16 says, For you were formed in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul, does, my, no, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes, your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book, were written, excuse me, your, your eyes saw my unformed substance and in your book were written every one of them, the days that formed me. You guys, Jesus knew you before you existed and he knows you now. But Ryan, why would anybody care so much that they would desire to, to die for my sin? The things that I've done wrong in my life, why, why would he do that? My answer again is because he loves you. John three sixteen through 17, we know that verse. It says, for God so loved the world, that includes you, that he gave his one and only son, that whomever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Ryan, why would he even care? Because he's God. He cares for you and me and all the other people that still hate him. Death is a scary thing. And the word never gives us a good feeling. You see, we've learned to fear that word because we live in a culture that is strayed from God. A culture that tells us we are our own gods. 
And what we decide to do is right. And there aren't any consequences for us. So if that's the case, why does death make us uneasy? Truth is, there is consequence for sin. And it's death. The scripture tell us that a life without Jesus upon death will bring eternal separation from Jesus. Ryan, I don't believe in that stuff. Heaven, hell, Jesus saves. I don't believe in that stuff. Let me tell you this. Just because you choose not to believe in that stuff doesn't make it not true. You will not escape it by just choosing not to believe it. I can't see the wind. I can't hold it to show you. But you and I both see the effects of the wind, right? Wind is invisible, but yet we still believe it's there. We make a forecast every day telling people about the wind. Are you willing to take that gamble? Are you willing to hope that you are right and that death will just end your existence? Because let me tell you again, because it's true, once death happens, it's too late. You don't get a second chance. When you breathe your last breath and you find out what's real, you can't say, wait, wait, wait. I changed my mind. You see, I live in assurance. I have accepted that gift of eternal life. I understand what Jesus did for me and I am changed as a result of it. I am, I'm not perfect by any means. I do screw up. You can ask my wife. But you know what? I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm known and loved. And because I have accepted the truth that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, I can face death with assurance. I have four daughters. And uh, my, in my family, we set aside time as much as our schedule allows it to do a little family Bible study. And usually it's in the evenings. And a few weeks ago, as we were talking in one of these Bible studies, we, we briefly talked about death and the fear of death. And as I asked the girls more about what they thought, what we really discovered as a family, it wasn't so much the fear of dying for us because they have the same, same assurance that I have. But it was fear of the possible pain of death. And I had to admit for me that is true. That's what I'm scared of is the pain. I fear what pain my death will bring. Will I suffer? Will I hurt? Will, what will I feel? You guys, we have probably dealt with family members who we have seen in agony for months as they approach death. But the more we discussed it, the assurance of an eternity with Christ made us realize that the possible pain 
that we might endure forever, how long it is, is just a small step to eternity with heaven. I'm asking you today to think seriously about death. I'm asking you to ponder what happens to you upon your death. What's next? You see, I know that Jesus cares for you too. And he doesn't want to see anybody go to hell. Churches don't often say that word because it makes people feel uncomfortable. But friends, I'll tell you a truth. A life that has not accepted Jesus as its Lord and Savior is destined to eternal separation from Jesus. A place where we know there is a promise that says there's be weeping and gnashing of teeth, anguish, burning, and so much more. And that place is hell. You will be destined to go there at your last breath. If you haven't made a decision for Christ, please do so. As we all know, our days are numbered and you have no idea when your last will happen. Assurance. I have it. Do you have it? I pray that you do. Let's pray. Father, your word is right.